Find your next fall adventure in Fairfax County at the National Museum of United States Army. Take a turn on the tank simulator. Feel your seat rumble in their 300-degree theater. Then step outside to enjoy the fall colors from their outdoor dining area and rooftop Medal of Honor garden. Discover your fall adventure at the National Army Museum. Open seven days a week. Free admission and parking right off I-95. Get free tickets at usarmymuseum.org. Good evening, everyone. We are live from the Donatorium once again for another episode of The Fat Minute. Joined tonight by my co-host, BBJ. Hello. And I am, of course, Don John, the only guilty man in all of Shawshank. Oh, fuck. (laughs) So we got an interesting episode tonight. We're comparing two movies tonight, um, The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. Just discussing them, our thoughts on them, and kind of debating on which movie we think is better. Um... So just kind of start out, you know, the similarities between the two movies, other than the fact that they take place in prison. Um, they're both based on Stephen King stories. Uh, they both came out in the 90s, both directed by Frank Darabont. Um, and to just kind of start, you know, talk a little about Shawshank Redemption first. came out in 94. Um, it was nominated for seven Academy Awards, and it won zero of them. Um, and it lost Best Picture to Forrest Gump that year, which talk about a difficult choice. Yeah. Um, and Shawshank, it it got uh, it was kind of a sleeper hit because um, I think it came out at like the same time as not just Forrest Gump, but also at the same time as like Pulp Fiction. So like it just kind of got lost in the buzz there. Um, but after it came out on like home media is when it really blew up. Um, and Stephen Kane has went on to say that it's his favorite adaptation of any of his work. Um, and the plot of Shawshank Redemption is that Andy Dufresne, a, a banker, has been sent to prison. He's been accused and convicted of murdering his wife and her lover. Um, so he's been sentenced to life in prison. Goes to Shawshank Penitentiary where he basically just kind of goes with the flow of you know life as, a, as an inmate. And just kind of adapts to a situation. And tries to make the most of it and tries to have as normal of a normal feeling of a life as possible inside the system. And mm-hmm. he eventually does break out in what is pretty much one of the biggest boss moves in American history. Um, <laughs> and I, I rewatched this. I've only seen this movie once before, so I had to rewatch it and I rewatched it about a week ago. I l- had legit forgot how fucking great of a movie this was. Yeah. Um, you know, I got some notes here that I took while I was watching it. Like the cinematography alone in this movie, like the cinematography does a great job of just making you feel existential dread. Um, there's like, there's almost no soundtrack to this movie. Um, like the, what music is there kind of gets lost in the background just because of the cinematography, the camera angles, the lighting and the, the color palette that just really makes you feel the dread like the scene when Andy is first walking into Shawshank and that that view of the of the doorway as he's going in it's just like you feel like you're going inside with him mm-hmm. um well what do you guys say about what what are some of your thoughts on Shawshank um well then there's also the um i guess the the bird's eye you know shot of the, the entire prison the yard, yeah, the prison yard, um, which is pretty good. The um, the cinematography was actually shot by 
Um, oh, what's his name? Shoot. I hate that I just... Uh, sorry. <laughs> I need to... Wait, hold on. Yes, uh, it was shot by DP Roger Deakins. Um, Roger Deakins uh, did the cinematography for the war movie... Um, 1917, which was apparently pretty good. So, I mean, let's face it, it was a gimmick. It was all, like, one shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but then, before then, he uh, had just won the Academy Award for Best Cinematography for Blade Runner 2049, mm -hmm. which 2049 is the most beautiful-looking movie I have ever seen. That has the best cinematography of... Of any movie, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, he's he's a pretty good director of photography. Um, <clears throat> so um, what? I mean, just what I thought of like all of Shawshank in general, or how how are we splitting this one up? Well, I'll, I'll kind of start here, like just looking at my notes. Like I mentioned before, how a lot of this movie is Andy doing things to sort of maintain a sense of normalcy. Yeah. Despite his life essentially being over, like, you know, and I mean, Morgan Freeman, when he's narrating, puts it best in the scene when they're fixing the roof of the one building and he, you know, manages to manages to convince the, the captain of the guard to give the boys beers after they finish the job. He's And Andy's like the only one not drinking because he gave up drinking. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman's just like, you know, I think he just did it just to feel normal again, even if only for a short while. Yeah. Um, and then, like, the part where he's doing, like, all the other, like, he's doing all the guards and the wardens, like, tax returns and everything and, like, helping the one guard set up, like, a, a trust fund for his kids for college and everything. Like, it, it's just, like, it, all the stuff he's doing to just sort of maintain the sense of normalcy. It's a really good, it, it's a really good look into just the hu the human condition and just how humans yeah. do whatever they can to just kind of function and survive and just yeah be human yeah um yeah i i agree it's um it's i mean there's kind of a lot of different emotions going on mm -hmm. um in this movie i mean it is a a movie that is about you know our desire for normalcy um, for, you know, uh, a free life, a normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, it is a story of hope. Um, I mean, hope is, you know, basically the, the, um, the main theme of the movie. Um, and then, I mean, redemption's in the fucking title, yeah. but, um, uh, and I guess like acceptance, change, um, I guess in a way learning to learning to forgive yourself um, is also very important in it. But um but I mean I, I don't wanna say too much too 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 soon, too quick of it, you know, I don't I don't know how we're gonna spread this this episode out, but I mean this is easily in my top ten favorite movies of, of all time. I mean it is it is a beautiful movie. It's a wonderful movie. I mean it is I mean, obviously that implies like top ten, but I mean like very few movies are genuinely better than it. Um, mm -hmm. Probably barely any. And it's just, 
I guess, you know, I and I think it is number one on IMDb. Yeah, it is. It is um, the uh, rated number one on IMDb's like top two hundred and fifty um, movies of all time list. Oh wow! Yeah, um, which it's funny because it it was because of that thanks to the dark knight in 2008 because in 2008 like the godfather was number 1 mm. on imdb and but it didn't it didn't have as many votes as the shawshank redemption so the shawshank redemption and the godfather had like the same amount of like stars or ratings but one had more votes than the other and then um the dark knight came out and like for a, for a month the dark knight was number 1 on imdb like so many users voted for it, and um, and uh, you know it eventually died down and it became like this kind of like news story amongst like the blogs or whatever. It's like, oh wow, how long can the Dark Knight go being number one on IMDb? Mm-hmm. But after the dust settled and it finally died down, it like shined a light and brought attention to the issue where it's like, okay, well. The Shawshank Redemption and The Godfather have the same rating, but one has more votes than the other. So shouldn't the movie that has more votes be number one? And IMDb was like, oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. (laughs) Because of The Dark Knight, The Shawshank Redemption is number one. God damn it, Batman. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it's... And you said, like, the, 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 the music, the soundtrack not really being, like, at the forefront... Um, and I guess by today's standards, that's that's very very true. Especially like when you see a movie, hear a movie that's been scored by Hans Zimmer, like or John Williams, or J- John Williams. But I mean, like, I mean, I'm not just talking about like famous or good. I mean, like a Hans Zimmer score is very frankly, with all due respect, like in your fucking face. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, or should I say, in your fucking ears? Um, and uh, but no, like the um, the music in the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, I guess until uh, other than like a few key scenes, and then obviously like the very very end when the end credits start. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is kind of subtle in a way. It's kind of understated. Um, you know, it doesn't insist upon itself, but it's good. It's it's a good score. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah i mean it's uh it it probably i mean i can imagine why stephen king would uh favorite i mean out of all of his <laughs> out of all the movies that's based on his work it is probably the most critically acclaimed um i mean i, I don't think it's the fucking mist <laughs> but uh <laughs> um but yeah no i mean the shawshank redemption like it is it's a beautiful story, but I mean, uh, what, I mean, what else specifically, you know, would you like to delve into here? Well, I like how you mentioned the theme of forgiving yourself. Um, because yeah. it reminded me of that scene when Andy's sitting there with red and he's just like, you know, I, I killed my wife, red, you know, I may not have pulled the trigger, but I pushed her away. And, you know, because of that, she ended up in the situation that did kill her. And, you know, red being like, well, that doesn't that doesn't make you a murderer or a bad husband maybe but not a bad person. Mm-hmm. So that's just like that that theme of forgiving yourself. Mm. Um 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, and it, it's a hard opening to a movie. It's a hard prologue mm-hmm. to uh, to witness. The only comfort is, is like the entire plot of this movie would probably not exist today because with like forensics and whatnot, you know, they'd be able to to judge and uncover like, okay, that's not his DNA on the bullets or the gun. I mean, people um, still get. <laughs> We, we've still we've still executed the wrong guy <laughs> at least more than a, more than a few times in the last decade. Oh no, no! Like the death penalty should just straight up not fucking exist. Um, and it's not that like I think that there's people that wouldn't deserve it. Like Dylan Roof would like totally deserve it. Absolutely. But but I mean, if there's even one person that was totally innocent that gets it, in my opinion, it's not worth it. Um, I think that's worse, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, just the cast too. I mean, obviously you have Mm -hmm. Tim Robbins, you have, you know, Morgan Freeman. And I mean, I feel like this was like, this was like one of the first main movies that really made Morgan Freeman like an A-list actor. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's weird, you, you don't really, we haven't really seen like anything too noteworthy from Tim Robbins since this. No, he um, as he got older, he kind of got weird. Yeah. <laughs> he's not not as in like, I don't know. He's not like, he's not like a hateful like. He, he's not fucking James Woods or yeah. John Voight, but he's, like, he's just really awkward. Yeah, he just got kind of goofy. Um, I know, I know, I know. He was in the show that's like based on all of Stephen King's, like, his, his entire, like, not a literary universe, uh, Castle Rock. Yeah, I gotta check, that's on Hulu, I gotta check that out sometime, that could be interesting. I saw a few episodes, um, I saw them, like, out of context, though, so I couldn't tell you what the fuck was going on, but it looked neat. It, it looks like one of those shows where if you don't watch it from the very first minute, like, you have no, you can't, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I do um, know it's basically, like, Stephen King's Avengers. Yeah, um, yeah, but, um, but, I mean, you have, you have Bob Gunton as the warden, Mm -hmm. who, I mean, that actor, though, is so underrated, like, he's one of those, he's one of those dudes where every time you see him, you're like, oh, that guy, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not many people know his name, I'm on IMDb right now, I had to look up his name, but, (laughs) um, I'm a little embarrassed about that one, but, I mean, like, I feel bad for those guys yeah. because, you know, every time you see them, you know, I, they're called character actors, which when I was younger, I was a little confused by that, by that name. <laughs> aren't that they all film. character actors? <laughs> yeah. Aren't they all playing characters? But like, but no, like I feel bad for those guys. Cause like every time you see them, you know, they do a great job. Like they, they nail it, you know, they're perfect for what they're doing, but nobody ever remembers their name. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, but then you know, Bob Gunton's first role in the whole first uh, line, I, I should say, in the whole movie, you know, put your trust in the Lord. Well, not like when you first see him, he says, you know, put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Yeah, like that. That's such a badass line. Yes, and you know he plays such a hypocrite. Yeah, I mean, like you, you love to hate him. Exactly, and you know he's like your. Your Bible thumper, like, um, uh, you know, preachy guy, and it's 
this is such a popular movie that it's amazing to me when, you know, a kind of like a hardcore evangelical conservative is like, oh yeah, that's a great movie. Like not realizing that the villain of the movie or one of the antagonists of the film is basically like a caricature of them. Yeah. Um, but but you have him just being like just such a hypocrite. And, um, and then you have, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, characters you love to hate, like Clancy Brown as like the captain of the guards. Like, yeah. he he is such a fuck face. Which I forgot that was Clancy Brown until like I, I heard his voice. And I was like, is that fucking Mr. Krabs? Mr. Krabs. I think he like voiced Mr. Freeze in one thing. He, one he of was Doctor the- Cortex in the first several Crash Bandicoot games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it was the Batman. Uh, Clancy Brown voiced um, Mr. Freeze, but um, but yeah, 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 Mr. Krabs. Um, and, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's almost a little too good at being an asshole, <laughs> but then apparently in real life, like he's, he's, well, that's the way it goes usually with those kind of actors that are good at playing the dickhead. Like he's apparently just a very sweet, considerate, genuine man. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean like he is, he is a some bitch, um, <laughs> the guy you don't, you don't mess with. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, one of the hardest scenes in the movie was one of the first nights, if not the first night they were there, and you had the one big guy that just missed his mom real bad, mm-hmm. and, I mean, he just beats the piss out of him. Mm-hmm. Kills him. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously he beats up uh, the leader of the sisters, you know, the... yeah. The, don't drop the soap squad yeah (laughs) i guess it wouldn't help if i told him i'm not a homosexual Uh, neither are they you gotta be you gotta be human first they don't count and um and uh, what's the final line it's like you know word says that he spent the rest of his days eating through a straw or something yeah um but yeah and um and clancy brown and then there's uh haywood one of the one of the, you know, <laughs> the lovable inmates who have William Sadler, Sadler. Yeah. Um, he's always good. He's one of, he's another one of those guys that make you go that guy. He was the Grim Reaper in the Bill and Ted movies. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, he's the one when he, he's, he's really, the goofy dude who just really likes Hank Williams. <laughs> yeah. It's just Alexander dumbass. Moss. Yeah. But no, I mean, like, it's it's a colorful cast of characters for a rowdy good time. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the whole family. Jesus. But, yeah, and, um, I mean, was there any other, like, standouts amongst the, the cast for you, or? Uh, yeah, the guy, I, I forget the actor's name, the guy who played the old inmate who, like, killed himself after he got paroled. Oh, Red. Brooks. Brooks, Brooks, I'm sorry, Brooks, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Brooks was here, so was Red. Yeah, um, but I yeah. Mean, Bro- Brooks' whole like story of going on parole and all that, and like just his his thought process, like that, like that that whole segment legit like made me choke up a bit, just because it's just you just feel so much fucking despair for him. Um, cause yeah, it's like he he literally doesn't know what to do with himself. I mean. 
the the he, he puts it best in his one letter when he talks about you know seeing so many cars like the guy was in prison for so long that you know when he went in the automobile had just been invented yeah and now they're everywhere like imagine just being removed from the world like that and then just being thrown back into it yeah um, and then also just how you know in prison he was a respected person who everybody got along with outside he's nobody he's he, he he's just another face in the crowd um and he's too old to really make any sort of life or so he feels i mean this movie is really just a, a great also just a great commentary on the hypocrisy of the american prison system as a whole you know they they say you know rehabilitation but really in this country we, we really don't do that no um and i mean the first the first half of this movie to kind of connect to that i feel like the first half of this movie it is very hard to get behind andy as the protagonist because the first half of this movie his innocence isn't clearly stated it's still it's ambiguous enough that you're like did he actually do it yeah so there's moments where it's kind of like why should i you know root for him if there's mm-hmm. a chance that he did it. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a theory during the first half of this movie that he was guilty. But even though he couldn't bring himself to admit it, the reason he was putting so much time and energy into like making the library and making the prison better and safer and everything for everybody was even though he couldn't admit to it, he knew he did it. So to kind of like atone for it, he was trying to like basically help these other prisoners to actually rehabilitate them and make them useful members of society. Yeah. That was my theory. And then they got blown out of the water in the real quick in the second half with discount Matthew Broderick. No, Tommy. Yeah. 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 Which it's a very tragic arc in the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, that was when like, the punches just didn't stop. Yeah. Uh, towards Andy because he kept getting locked up in the box or the hole, whatever they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you hear that like Tommy was killed. You know, Tommy died or whatever. And um, what did they? I've seen this movie so many times over twenty years. What did the rest of the prison think happened to Tommy? Because obviously, like the warden had him killed by. Clancy Brown, but mm. I mean, what did everybody else think happened? Or I mean, pretty much everybody knew he was set up, but the story that the warden gave everybody was, oh, he tried to escape, that's why we shot him. Oh, okay. But, like, pretty much nobody bought it. Nobody bought it. Well, of course not. But, um, you had, um, you had, uh, you know, the news that he died, and then you had the news that he passed. He passed the, the quiz, the test, or whatever. Um, the, what was he taking, the SAT or? Uh, he was taking the GED test. GED test, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, SAT, no, that'd be a little too ambitious for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I started out stealing TVs from Sears and Roebuck, and now here I am solving solving the cure for cancer. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and then when, you know, the one guy delivering Andy's food in the box just says the kid passed and he says his score. Like you can just see like the fucking soul has just been wiped clean from Andy's body. Like the, um, you could see the exact moment that he's officially done. Yeah. Um, 
but no. And um, and him coming out, that's when he says, you know, no matter what, there's something that they can't take from us. Yeah, the mu- that, when he's talking about music, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I wrote that down, that, that quote. Yeah, let's go ahead and hear it. Well, just that, that quote, like what you just said, like when he's talking about music, and he's like, you know, it's, you know, it's something inside you that they can't touch, that they can't take away from you. Like, I, I, I'm just saying I wrote that down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and um, I, uh, you know, uh, I think it's – that is that is a tough year, though. I mean, even as someone who – I mean, as someone who's grown to, I think, if you would have asked me when I was younger, you know, I maybe would have said, oh, yeah, Forrest Gump, you know, that's the movie that has more jokes in it, and, you know, it's more feel-good throughout. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as I got older, I was like, no, like, the Shawshank Redemption edges it out, I think. Um, it's it's close. It's a tough call. But I was yeah, like, I, I wouldn't want to be on the panel that had to vote for that, move, for that award that year. And, um... And then as someone who – I've only seen Pulp Fiction once, and that was just because I finally reached a point where I felt like I had to see it because um, everybody just kept being like, you, you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it. And I just think Quentin Tarantino's other movies are a little overrated. I don't just like him personally. I actually really like him as a person. You know, I mean, I think he's a cool guy. I think he's a very knowledgeable guy, and I like how he – is supportive of other movies and, mm-hmm. you know, tries to, you know, put them up. Um, but a lot of his movies just don't do it for me. But, yeah, you have Pulp Fiction in the mix there. And it's like Pulp Fiction versus Forrest Gump versus the Shawshank Redemption. Like, basically every cinephile in the 90s that went to college had those posters in their dorm room, I think. Um no, that's that's a difficult ass year. Yeah. Um no, I mean what uh what um what other notes would you would you say for Shawshank? Um I don't know why I wrote this down. I think at this point I was just goofing around. That that during that scene uh when Andy gives uh Red that harmonica as like a gift. Mm-hmm. And he's like, You gonna play it? And Red's like Nah, maybe later. I wrote this down. I was like, <laughs> I, I wrote, because that harmonica was in someone's butthole. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I wish I fucking knew. I also wrote this. I like uh, I also wrote this down. Uh, Shawshank is technically a Marvel movie. Because uh, the warden gets the newspaper, the Daily Bugle, at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, he does? Yeah. The newspaper is, uh, in the movie is the Daily Bugle. Oh, shit. So, uh, Shawshank is the first MCU movie. Suck it, Iron Man. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but to go back to what I was talking about before, about how, like, I mean, this movie is just a giant. It's, a, it's not just a great story and just a beautifully well-made movie. I mean, it's just, it, it's like, it's a great social, it's a great commentary on the prison system in America, and it doesn't even try to be. Like, it feels yeah. like that that social commentary aspect just kind of, like, it happened on accident or by proxy. Right. 
um, which is which I think just makes it all the better because it's not being heavy-handed about it at all. Um, look at my notes here. Uh, I I do think the movie takes off in the second half, just because at that point Andy's innocence becomes much more clear, so you're able to root behind him as the protagonist more. Because it's weird in the first half, like like I said, you're not sure if he's actually innocent or not, and it's kind of ironic that like, if at least me, I felt like. I, I found myself uh, kind of like getting behind Red as the protagonist more, even though he's like the only person who owns up to what he did, and maybe it's because of that. But I um I feel like the movie kind of sort of goes back and forth between the two. Yeah, like there's I mean there's a segment of the movie where it really does just follow only Red, um, and uh, and yeah, it almost like makes you think they're maybe doing a bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do love uh, just after Andy escapes, which, I mean, that escape, fucking boss moves in American History, Volume 3. Like, he not only tunnels the fuck out, he fucking dimes out the captain of the guards, the warden. Like, he, he ends up indirectly causing the warden to commit suicide. Yeah. yeah like, he gets a, I, just love, I just love the dumb fucking shocked face on the warden when yeah. he the poster off and just looks in the hole like that that shot that moment like my mom laughs at that every time when he <laughs> just that poster off and just looks down the hole and I just, like and he cleaned out all the bank accounts and just took everything like it's it's so great oh yeah i mean it's i mean the final act for for andy does become like a revenge fantasy yeah um and then what with Clancy Brown? Like they say, he went away crying like a little girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I just love uh, Morgan Freeman. Read his you know point of view and narration during the final act, like the part where he he thinks like at first when he thinks Andy is gonna kill himself in his cell, when he thinks he's gonna hang himself, and he's just like that was the longest night I ever had. Yeah. Um, and just after Andy escapes, and he's just like talking about how. You know, sometimes some birds just aren't meant to be caged, and when you finally set it free, you're happy that it's gone, but you still wish it was still there. And then there's just that pause, and he's just like, "I guess I just miss my friend." Yeah, like that. Mm, that hits right here. And that's and that's another thing. Like it's just, it's it's not only a story of you know faith and hope and stuff. It's also just a beautiful story of friendship. Like it is. It is a. <laughs> it's weird to say, but it is a love story between two friends. Like yeah. that, that's his buddy. Like he, you know, that's he's he's the person who taught him to like hold on just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like, I of it. It is probably one of the more near perfect endings of any movie. I think I've seen, like, there are a lot of movies that, like, have an ending where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah you know, I guess that's that's one of the, the better ones they could have went for, you know, and some some movies have just a bummer of an ending, even though it makes sense, even though it fits, you know, the I guess the moral, the message, the lesson of the story, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, with, with the Shawshank Redemption, like, that ending is everything you want it to be, like... Mm-hmm. 
it is just a very beautiful final shot of just them finally getting to have their own lives back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, you know, very few movies can can end on such a high note, yet such a, I guess, I don't want to say understated or subtle, but such a a peaceful note, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it is everything they deserve, so, yeah. And to kind of touch on the last time about what I said about this movie's kind of commentary on the American prison system and our hypocrisy about, you know, the concept of rehabilitation. I think it's best summed up in the scene when Andy's like telling red about how he's helping the warden, like launder all this money. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, red on the outside, I lived, you know, completely straight clean. I had to learn. I had to go to prison to learn how to be a crook. Yeah. Yeah. That's another great one. Um, and also, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think it's summed up a lot, you know, prison, you know, the the, the flip side to, um, or another angle uh, of it, you know, being tragic is, you know, when Red, after, after Brooks kills himself, Red elaborates on how, you know, y- you get here and these walls, you know, the sad thing is that these walls eventually become the only thing you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the you know so much so that you can't leave them. You don't know how to live without them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that. I guess that's something a lot of people wouldn't pay much mind to. Um, but I mean that does happen a lot of times in life. Is you know like people go to jail for so long, or maybe there's just nowhere else they can really go. That when they're finally done. You know, when in theory they are lucky enough to finally get out, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean that is that is a another angle to quote the rehabilitation system that that not a lot of people consider. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of go back to the ending here that we were talking about, like just the entire like last very last chunk of the movie after red gets out of prison and he's just talking about like, you know, breaking his parole. And he's just like talking about, he's talking about how excited he is to just finally see his friend again. And like, I just love all that. Like you, you feel his excitement and you're just excited for it too. And like, you're just sitting there waiting for that final scene where they just run up to each other and it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, I have, I have the um, the ending credits um, uh, track uh, on my iPhone on iTunes. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just that you know that music that plays right away as it's as it's you know the credits are rolling. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love it. It gets me. Um, it'd be great trailer music. I don't know why you know they haven't tried to put that music in another trailer for like a drama. I guess I don't know. I think it'd be really good, but I just, I mean, yeah, like I, like I said, Liam, one of the better endings ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also wrote this. You could tell I was getting, I was running on vapors at this point. I just wrote, you know, they fucking. <laughs> yeah, you texted me that when it ended. It was just like, no, you know man. they, you know they fucking. No man, they traveled. 
they traveled the world and picked up some girls, and that's all there was to it. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It's whatever, they, huh? it's whatever they wanted it to be. Yeah. I would also just like to think there's an alternate universe where Red, like, finds that money buried underneath the tree, and he finds that, and it's like, do you remember the name of the town? And he's just like, shit, what was it again? Oh, shit. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, like, like I said, I, first time I've watched this movie in like a decade and I had legit forgotten how wonderful of a movie it was. And I'm, I'm glad I got to rewatch it for this, uh, because I just, I just had a great time watching this movie. Um, I can definitely see it making like many top 10 lists. It's just such a great movie of so many different themes. Um, you know, redemption, forgiveness, hope, friendship, um, it's it's just such a great, well made, well put together movie. Yeah, I mean it's it's easily a ten out of ten, like yeah, hands down. Hands down, yeah, no question, no question for me. Ten out of ten, yeah. So now let's move on to the Green Mile, and then we'll compare and see which one each of us prefer more. Yeah, Green Mile came out in 1999, also directed by Frank Darabont. Nominated for four Academy Awards, also won none, and it lost Best Picture to American Beauty, which I've never seen. Um, but it's got Kevin Spacey in it, so it, pro- it has Kevin Spacey in it drooling over an underage girl, so it probably hasn't aged too well. <laughs> <laughs> so, The Green Mile, um, basically the story, it's another Stephen Kane story. The story of The Green Mile takes place during the Great Depression, Um and it follows a group of prison guards who work on uh, the death row section, yeah. the, de- the death row block. And they, it's typically called the last mile, but they call theirs the green mile because the color of the floor. Yeah. Um, and then they get a prisoner by the name of John Coffey, who is a very large black man who has the ability to basically heal people. Um, he's very simple-minded. He has a childlike demeanor. He's very meek. Very timid, but he he's on death row. Scared of, he, hmm? scared of the dark. Scared of the dark. Um, he's on death row because he's been convicted of murdering two small girls. Um, and as the movie goes on, it becomes apparent that he definitely did not do it. Um, and he has the ability to heal people. And it's basically the whole it's the whole story is a story of faith. Um, and it's just, it's basically implied that John Coffey is just a, he, he's a gift from God himself. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately he's on death row and there's no way to get him out. So eventually the execution of John Coffey does happen. And the captain of the guard for the death row block, uh, played by Tom Hanks character's name is Paul Edgecombe. He, since he was healed by John Coffey, he got some of John Coffey's magic in him and lives to be over 100 years old and still kicking pretty strong. Um, and he thinks his longevity is a curse for killing one of God's true miracles. And the movie definitely ends on a very heavy note. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let's let's get into the Green Mile here. Um one thing that I had kind of forgotten about this movie is like, despite being introduced really early, John Coffey almost has no relevance to the plot until like an hour into the movie. Yeah. I I think it's really just to make you, um, 
not grow with, but um, I guess I think it's really just to make you, um, just just to make you get to know like Tom Hanks and the other guards. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I guess it wants you to feel a sense of familiar. You know, to, to just really get familiar with them, so that you know when when they're trying to. You know, when when they get into the part of the plot with John Coffey, mm-hmm. and they're feeling for him, and they're they're going through their their thoughts and feelings and stuff, you feel more close to them. You feel more connected with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think that was fair. I think I can defend that that pacing. So it's definitely a movie in terms of pacing and length, because I mean, this movie's three hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie that requires patience and requires you to get on its level. Because, yeah. like, this is very much like a textbook slow burn movie because there are so many plot threads that are just kind of dropped right in, into the movie. And they don't make sense too much until they all start to connect to each other near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bunch of moments where you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Why is this here? What does this have to do with this? And then, like, once it all starts coalescing and, like, kind of, like, connecting and you start seeing the spider web fully form, you're just like... Oh, so this is definitely a movie that requires a lot of patience, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say another thing. Like, despite that, and like I understand that, I do feel like um, the the one Native American inmate that they had, the first one that they execute in the mm-hmm. movie, I feel like he could have been cut from the movie entirely because like everything connected to his presence and him being there, like really like they could have just done that with um Michael Jeter's character and yeah. just easily cut like a, a half hour or so from this movie. Well I guess with him it was one of those things where it's like either do something more with him, something else with him, mm-hmm. or don't do anything with him at all. Yeah. Like either either have him in it or don't have him in it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I feel like he could have been cut entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys say? Um, well, I just think it's fucking hilarious how, you know, after Frank Darabont lost to um, Forrest Gump, he was like, you know what? I'll come back in a few years with another Stephen King prison movie, and this time I'll have Tom Hanks. <laughs> Which is especially funny because Tom Hanks almost played Andy Dufresne. Yeah, yeah. So... Which could you imagine if he played Andy Dufresne and Forrest Gump that year? Um... Shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously... Oh, man. Is Andy Dufresne... No, I guess Andy Dufresne wouldn't have been eligible for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, that would have been wild for someone to win both Best Leading and Best Supporting the same year. Has that ever happened? I... I don't think I, so. I don't know. And then, I feel like if anyone's done it, it was Jack Nicholson, but I don't know. Yeah, I think the, um, the closest the, the closest thing I can think to that is when both Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro won for playing uh, Vito Corleone. That's the closest I can think of that. Two different people play, winning for playing the same character, but like. Well, yeah, and then well, yeah, because um, Marlon Brando won Best Lead, and I and Robert De Niro won Best Supporting. Yeah. So that's the closest thing I can think of that happening. Um, 
List of actors nominated for two Academy Awards in the same year. Same year. Um, da, 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 da. Jessica Lang apparently did it. So she won. Uh, she won best lead and bet, or she at least was nominated best lead and she was best nominated. She's nominated. I'm seeing a bunch of they either you know they're either nominated or they only yeah. So no, they've never. Nobody has ever won two Academy Awards the same year. From the looks of it, um, I'm seeing Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story and Jojo Rad Rabbit. Mm. Um, I'm seeing Jamie Foxx for Ray and Collateral. Um, oh, uh, Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman, which he won for, mm -hmm. um, which was basically one of the biggest IOUs ever. Seriously. Um, he was good in it, though. He it's was, good, but it was role. like it was definitely like, uh, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a pity fuck. <laughs> and, I mean, honestly, like, that was definitely – did you see The Revenant? No. Okay, like, Leonardo DiCaprio was good in it, but I just like all his other stuff more. Man, um, I'm glad he won it for that instead of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I would have – I guess that would have felt weird. But um, Jessica Lange for Francis and Tootsie, Sigourney Weaver for Gorillas in the Mist and Working Girl, um, Holly Hunter for The Piano and the Firm. Yeah, no, it's it's – it's it hasn't been done before. Hmm. Would, that'd be that'd be wild though. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like if anyone would pull that off, they would just like never make a movie again because they'll feel like they'll never top that. Yeah. <laughs> like just, or they'll at least <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, I'll just take a decade off. But um, but yeah, back to um. Yeah, so Tom Hanks was almost Andy Dufresne, but yeah, so he missed out on Tom Hanks with that, and then he lost to Tom Hanks, so then he was <laughs> like, well, I'll be back with Tom Hanks this time. And as revenge, well, I'm going to give Tom Hanks syphilis. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just... And then Frank Darabont went on to make a, another uh, Stephen King uh, movie that I brought up earlier, The Mist, which... Apparently, The Mist has one of the most fuck you endings ever. Yeah. Um, have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, I I've heard of it, and I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm glad I didn't see that in theaters then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think they recently re-released a special edition of it in black and white, which I don't understand the relevancy there. <laughs> but um, and then um and then he did um. He was the original showrunner for The Walking Dead, and I think he directed the pilot as well, but he was like the main producer, and I think he was the head of the writer's room. And then eventually he kind of got pushed out, and he couldn't let it go forever. Like, he kept talking shit on it and bitching about it, and like after a season or so, it's like, okay, dude, like you're not doing it anymore. Like, fucking move on. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I mean, I like Frank Darabont. I think he's... You know, I mean, obviously he made Shawshank Redemption, but you know he he was tasked with telling two different Stephen King stories about you know prison drama, mm -hmm. and he you know did a good job both times, and um, and he also has a lot of uh, writing credits. It looks like um, you know he did um, he uh, you know uh, did. Uh, 
A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors, which is apparently said to be one of the favorite sequels, if not the favorite sequel among fans. It's one of the few slasher sequels that's like actually a, a good movie in its own right. Yeah, I I actually really want to check out Dream Warriors because I actually hear the plot is actually cool. Yeah. Um, for a slasher sequel, um, and then he did you know episodes for Young Indiana Jones, and uh, he's done episodes for Mob City. Um, oh, and then he was brought on to um, do additional writing, uncredited the, the uncredited though, for the 2014 Godzilla movie, hmm. which is really fucking random. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, wow, we're trying to, you know, bring back the king of the monsters in an American blockbuster format. You know who we need? The guy who filmed John Coffey. That's <laughs> 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 the same difference. Um, but, yeah, no. Um, what I was getting at, though, is, like, we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. And that's kind of weird. Um, but I guess he just kind of chilled out and he's just doing his own thing now. But he was, um, you know, he was the reoccurring Stephen King director and now he's been replaced by Mike Flanagan who did, um, uh, Gerald's game, Earl's game, or how the fuck do you pronounce that? Gerald's game or whatever. And then he did Dr. Sleep. Mm, and, love that um, movie. Oh, fuck. I, I can't wait to talk about that movie in a future episode. But, um, yeah, so Mike Flan- – and I think there's, like, a third uh, Stephen King story Mike Flanagan's going to direct. But, yeah, he's he's um, he's um the new golden boy for the king. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I mean, what, what else – what else do uh, – what else do you want to go into for uh, Green Mile? Can we just talk about how underrated Michael Clark Duncan was during his career? I, almost criminally yeah. underrated. I mean, I was so. I mean, first of all, it was just sad, you know, a loss of life. Yeah. Um, but when he passed away, like, I almost felt so cheated because it's like, oh, he could have done so much other stuff too. Yeah. Um, and because uh, he wasn't, he, he like he could not only do like serious roles like this, but he was also fucking funny. Oh, dude, like he's fucking hilarious in Talladega Nights. Yeah. I mean, when he's screaming, don't you put that yeah. evil on me, Ricky Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> it's just, it's just, and that's always a risk when you have, I guess, a, a more dramatic actor join in on the antics of other comedians. So, like, you put you put uh, Michael Clark Duncan in a room with Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley, and he was able to hold his own. Like he was able to be just as funny when <laughs> when he's stabbing his leg, and they're using the other knife to pry it out. Yeah. Um, and then he was one of the best parts of the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. Like the casting in that movie, other than Ryan Reynolds, because I'm sorry, I know other people try to be, I guess, spare the rod, spoil the child. It was like, oh, well, you know, I think Ryan Reynolds could have. Like, no, Ryan Reynolds doesn't fit Hal Jordan. Like, sorry. But Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog, like, that was perfect. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, 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 what were some other top uh, Michael Clark Duncan? Uh, he was awesome as Kingpin in Daredevil. Yeah, you know, like, legit. Like, he actually was. Yeah. Um, and it honestly, like, if, I don't know if, 
if the MCU would have announced that they were going to keep him as the Kingpin, I would not have complained at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was in um, he was in Sin City uh, as Manute, um, the golden-eyed guy. He was really good in that. Like, Sin City is just a cool movie in general. Um, and then he was in Armageddon. Um, but yeah, no, I mean... When you saw him, you liked him, but yeah, I still feel like he could have been given a little bit more. But no, I, I, I miss Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah, rest in peace. It's so. a shame he he didn't win a uh, best supporting for this movie. Yeah, I mean that's who is he up against? I don't know. Hmm. I um. What uh? What did he die of? Was it heart attack? I mean, he was a big guy, so yeah, maybe I, think, I believe it was it was heart issues. Heart issues, shit. Um. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's sad. Yeah. So, um. What year did you said it was nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety eight? Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. So it would have been the two thousand Academy Awards. So, like I said, like this movie requires a lot of patience because yeah you, you have to kind of sit and be and sit through all the different plot threads just being thrown at you with little to no context with no real resolution on the horizon you have to sit through it and wait for that like you know that final moment when all of them spiderweb together and i mean it that that final act just it hits you so fucking hard because it's like you know, it's one thing where the Shawshank Redemption, where the movie's consistently, you know, hitting you with stuff. Whereas the Green Mile just kind of holds it all in and that final act hits you with everything all at once. Um, and I think it's it, it, it's shown best during the execution of John Coffey how yeah. each different guard is reacting to the execution. Oh, the, I mean... The moment in the movie that hits me the hardest, I mean, my my personal moment in the movie, is when Barry Pepper just starts crying. Like, he can't yeah. keep it in. He can't keep it together. Yeah. Um, that was what got me. Yeah, it's like each one, like each face says a different story. Like, you know, Barry Pepper, he's he's just, he can't hang. He's just losing everything. Um, the guy, I don't know the actor's name, but the one who flips the switch. He's like sitting in the box and the way he's just kind of looking out through the, the little screen there, he's like, you could tell that he's glad that he's not out there with them. Um, the one who puts the, the, he goes to put the bag on John Coffey's head again. I don't know the actor's name. The look on his face, he's just kind of like, just, just fuck. He just wants ever, he just wants to get it over with. He's just like, yeah, I just want this to be done, you know, because he's like, if we don't do it now, I'm going to like freak and try to stop it. Um, yeah, Tom Hanks. He's trying to keep. He's he's keeping it together. But like you're just waiting for that moment where it all comes crashing down. And then he, David Morse. Uh-huh. He's like he's the one. Like if you look, he's the only one who doesn't look at John Coffey during the execution. But like he's just shaking and like you just see the tears welling up in his eyes. But he just can't bring himself to look at him. Like each face tells a different story and a different reaction. And it's yeah. just like it really illustrates how everything in this entire movie that has happened over the last three hours is now hitting the viewer all at once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
And Dave, David Morris is an underrated actor as well. Yeah. Um, I like him in, um, in, uh, you know, I liked him as the, uh, the killer in Disturbia, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, Barry Pepper, uh, losing it was just, for me, that was the moment that just gets me. There's a, did you rewatch Green Mile recently? I, I rewatched it today. What is, what's the line that Tom Hanks says where he was like, I mean, Tom Hanks is basically telling, like, calling all the shots. He's saying, like, you know, do this, do that, get ready for this, like, when they're executing John Coffey. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing he says or one of the first things he says? And, like, you can just hear Tom Hanks's voice, like, trembling, like, shaking, like he's trying to keep it in, but he's having trouble. Um, like, on on three or... Roll on one. Roll on one, yeah. Like, when he says that... Like you can just like his voice is having trouble coming out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a heartbreaking movie. Yeah. Um, and I I was looking up, you know, um, Michael Clark Duncan's Oscar nomination, and he was at least in very good company. Um, the winner was Michael Caine in the Cider House Rules. Um, which that's a movie I've never gotten around to, but my mom likes it a lot. Um, you have Jude Law in The Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, you have Tom Cruise in Magnolia, which I hear, like, Mag- one, Magnolia is a good movie, but Tom Cruise in that, like, that's Tom Cruise's best um, acting performance, mm-hmm. and I think Trevor believes that as well. Um, and then you have Haley Joe Osment in The Sixth Sense. So... It's a very, very good company. Yeah. Um, and then for best actor, it was Kevin Spacey for American Beauty, which, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, we we haven't brought up like what I thought we would have talked about. One of the first things. Um, what was his name? Percy. Oh, he's how much of a fucking shit he is. I mean, you hate him within 30 seconds of seeing him. I think I hate him more than I hated anybody in the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, you just want somebody to beat the shit out of him so bad. I think it's because we all knew someone exactly like him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, all the doors open for him mm-hmm. and. And they just, you know, someone who's just constantly rewarded by life, even though they've done absolutely nothing for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, like, I guess we all went to school with a Percy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad he pissed his pants. Yeah. <laughs> I just love, like, his last name's Wetmore, and Michael Jeter's is like, oh, that's a great last name for you, buddy. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, uh, Michael Michael Jeter. He was the one with the uh, the mouse, correct? Yeah, Mr. Jingles. Mr. Jingles. Yeah, Michael Jeter was a great character actor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very again, like very underrated. There's a lot of underrated people in this movie. Um, so yeah, and then you had the guy who played Heyman in the Shawshank Redemption. He was the father of the girls that you know John Coffey 
well, he doesn't get framed for it, but it, it looks, you know, he, 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 I guess. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Um, yeah. He plays the, the father just very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, well, Gary Sinise, he's in, uh, he's in this as well. Um, <laughs> which Lieutenant Dan, um, <laughs> yeah, and once again, that's Frank Darabont being like, "Fine, I'm going to steal everybody from Forrest Gump." <laughs> and that's when he's, and that's when the actual Forrest Gump appears in the movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think I think originally uh, Frank Darabont wanted Sally Field to play John Coffey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a what a decade for Sally Field. She went from Tom Hanks's lo- uh, love interest to his mother to his his inmate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh shit! Wait, love interest? Yeah, there was a movie like came out like maybe a year. I forget what the fucking movie it is, but I know there's a movie where she's like Tom, she plays like Tom Hanks' love interest, and it came out like right before Forrest Gump. Oh, hold, hold up! I don't know what you're talking about I here. Swear what to fucking you... god, I'm gonna look it up right now. I'm I'm gonna beat you to it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh shit. Um... <laughs> Miss Doubtfire? <laughs> no. <laughs> Punchline. No. Okay, that came, yeah, that came out like nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight punchline. So, so like six years before Forrest Gump. What the fuck? I've no what is this movie? Yeah, she plays like his his love interest, and like just six years later, suddenly she's Tom Hanks's mom. <laughs> huh? How about that? So yeah. Oh, Sally Field. Oh, <laughs> my mom was so pissed at her. Why? Oh. Basically, long story short, well, I mean, this part isn't funny, but my mom tried out um, Boniva, um, basically, you know, for calcium or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, my mom had an allergic reaction to it, and she, um... And she blamed Sally Field? Huh? And she blamed Sally Field? And Sally Field did the commercials for Boniva. So the whole weekend, my mom was like, I could really fucking kick Sally Field's ass right now. <laughs> but no, it was it was a very it was a very scary week because um, mom's reaction to it, uh, I don't know what was going to happen. Mm. But but yeah, so yeah, she wanted to punch she wanted to punch Sally Field. Um, but yeah, so well, what do we? What do we think are maybe some shortcomings with the Green Mile? Well, like I said, I think the length, just because I get what this movie is doing with pacing and everything. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it, it the movie is giving everything time to breathe in all the right ways, and it's giving like it, it's create it's slowly creating the spider web right in front of you without you noticing it until it all comes together. But that yeah. that. That bit in the beginning with the first inmate they execute, like he could have, like all that could have been, he could have been cut entirely, and the stuff that like was connected to him that had any relevance to the plot could have been transferred over to Michael Jeter's character, and the movie would have been better because it it wouldn't have been as long, um, because it's 
it's hard enough to have a three-hour-long movie, but it's yeah. even harder to have a three-hour-long movie that requires patience like this one does. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's... I think that's fair, and... Yeah, that's a lot of older movies, though. And when I say that, I don't mean movies from the 90s. I mean, like, movies from the 60s. Yeah. I mean, older movies just require patience. Um, you know, I mean, you can't start To Kill Mockingbird and in the first few minutes expect to see that many birds. Um, You've got to wait for the birds. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I mean, shit, we had to wait, what, 50 years for the prequel to come out? Or the sequel, I should say. It was technically written first. Yeah. Um, apparently. But and then people read it and they were like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um so but yeah, I mean it's I I mean, let's just jump to it. Like for me, the Green Mile, you know, a good movie. It is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um I think you know, I love the characters. I think every actor is good in it. I think every actor does well with their character. There's there's no matter where it's like, oh, they could have had somebody else play them, or, you know, like, oh, they, you know. Like, no, like, I think everybody is in the right place here. Mm-hmm. Right people in the right places. But um, that ending <laughs> is just such a fucking bummer to me. And it's just like, well, yeah, what'd you expect to happen? It's a movie about death row. Um, but, I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about, like, John Coffey. Like, I was prepared for that. But I wasn't prepared for it to be like, yeah, I've lived a very long time, so I don't know when I'm finally going to receive the sweet release of death. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... I just wasn't prepared for it. It doesn't make me hate the movie. It doesn't even make me dislike it, I guess. But, um, yeah, it, it leaves me a little sore. So. Uh, it kind of has me wondering, like, why doesn't he just commit suicide if he's if he just wants to die so badly? Well, because I, I would imagine suicide's a, well, suicide's a sin, you know, and, like, I guess in this universe it is implying that like God is real and He has witnessed the proof. Mm. Um, so I guess that would be it. But yeah, I. And it was also just like, if that mouse has lived this long, how long am I gonna live? And I'm like, oh my God, dude! Like you're gonna be a walking sarcophagus. <laughs> <laughs> For and also like. How does how, won't eventually like society will wise will notice wisen up and notice like oh hey there's this one old guy in town that's lived for like two hundred fucking years. <laughs> I mean it'll be like Ted, you know. Eventually people just will stop giving a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you're talking teddy bear, Justin Bieber, eventually no one gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. But well, what 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 do you give what do you give the Green Mile? I mean, I love this movie. I think it's another ten out of ten. Um, I do think it's a little long, but I think that that I think that that bit that can be cut out doesn't really tarnish the movie too much. Um, 
I mean, that the ending still ha- it still fucking makes me tear up and just straight up lo- I I look like Barry Pepper every time I watch this movie when I get to the ending bit. Um it's it still does it to me every time um to this day. Um Yeah, I I love this movie. It's pro- it's probably one of my top 10. I I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Yeah. I'm going to give it an 8. And I mean I mean I I mean it's it's I would even say like it's almost it's almost agonizingly close to being a 9 out of 10. Um I can't give it a perfect score personally just cuz it's just, you know, it is not amongst my favorite movies, but that um that ending just it leaves a bit of a, a sour taste in my mouth, and I, I get that it's like about you know it's about subversion, I guess you could say. Like you, you don't know how this movie's gonna go. You don't you know like if 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 you go through you know the second half of this movie being like oh man they're gonna. They're gonna bust John Coffee out of jail and drive him across the border, and he's gonna, you know, <laughs> and he's gonna meet up with Red and Andy Dufresne and Zay Watanayo, and it's just, it's gonna be a threesome. It's gonna be a great time. Yeah, it's just like no, that ain't happening. But then it was just like <laughs> the immortal mouse, and I mean, it's 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 a movie that does not end triumphantly. Oh, if this ending yeah. depresses you, you'd be glad you didn't read the book. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, go well, ahead and tell me the book. I guess it depends on how you look at it, because in the book it mentions, there's a part where Paul mentions like when his wife died. Yeah. His wife died after they got into a bus bus crash. She dies in his arms, and he's while John Coffey's ghost is staring over them. <laughs> Ugh. And then, but also at the end, I guess it's a little bit more hopeful, because... You know, the Mr. Jingle still lives to the end of the book, but like the book ends and Mr. Jingles dies at like the very end of the book, so it's kinda like, okay, well maybe Paul's gonna die soon too. <laughs> Get what he wants. Yeah. Like, so I guess it's the it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So hmm. So your vote is Shawshank is the better movie? Oh, I mean, hands down. For me, no question, no contest. With all due respect to the Green Mile, um, I think it is ultimately a movie that gets more right than it does wrong, absolutely. It's a movie that doesn't get a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the part that just it doesn't nail, and I think more than anything else, it's not that the ending is terrible, horrible, awful. It just it doesn't nail it. The Shawshank Redemption nails its ending with flying colors. So yeah, the Shawshank Redemption to me is the superior film. I love both of these movies. Um, if you would have asked me this before, because today was the first time I've rewatched the green mile in quite a while. Um, yeah. and when I rewatched Shawshank last week, it was the first time I watched it in 10 years. If you would have asked me this, even even earlier today, I would have immediately said the Green Mile is the better movie. Uh huh. And it's such a t- it's still such a tough choice for me. Yeah. But now I gotta say Shawshank is the better movie. Yeah, really. Um, I mean, I love both of these movies, and 
I love them for different reasons. I love how Shawshank has so many different themes so beautifully interwoven into one movie. Yeah. And I love how the Green Mile manages to make this giant weave of of plot threads right in front of you without you realizing it until the very end when it all just hits you all at once. Right. Um but the Green Mile, I mean half that 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 half hour could be cut out easily. Um also Tom Hanks having fucking syphilis or whatever. It's it just it's too fucking funny to be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, also like it's basically in there to as a as a display, as a presentation of John Coffey's powers. Mm-hmm. But you, you get that already anyway when John Coffey heals the mouse, Mr. Jingles, and when he heals um the is it the warden? Is it the, the warden's warden? wife? The warden's wife, who has like a brain tumor, and it's mm-hmm. like giving her like, I guess, extremely early onset dementia in a way. I guess you can say, mm-hmm. but he heals her. Like you get other examples of his powers with that, but then randomly, like there's like this fucking pit stop where it's like, yeah. Tom Hanks can't take a good piss. It's <laughs> so funny when he like right before John Coffey heals him, like he gets hit in the fucking nuts by uh. Sam Rockwell, and he's just like collapsed on the floor after they've all left the room, and you just he's just collapsed in agony, and you just hear, "Boss, <laughs> <laughs> I need to speak to you, boss." <laughs> Now's not a good time, John Coffee. I know, boss, but I needs to see you. <laughs> it almost sounds like you're saying balls. <laughs> <laughs> balls. <laughs> I needs to see your balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, let's be honest. I, I'm sorry. Now, I'm sure they, I'm sure they intended for it to be like. I mean, I'm uh, sure during the Great Depression, syphilis was way more serious than what it is now. Well, no, but I mean, like, I'm sure they meant for it to be a moment of comedic relief, I guess. But when Tom Hanks is finally taking a piss, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he makes he's having the hot sweats. Yeah, he's hearing the theme song to Roseanne sixty years early. <laughs> when his eyes are about to roll into the back <laughs> of his brain, it's like, like good. John Coffey, like you know, yes, you get other instances of him being able to heal people, but you need to have him heal the main protagonist, obviously. But it's like. You couldn't have given him any. You couldn't have given him anything else. Yeah, like make him, make him a. You, you couldn't have given him a smoker's cough. Like he, he couldn't have been like a, you know, a, addicted to cigarettes or something. Like, like he, I, I get, I, like it kind of like the syphilis. Well, I guess it wasn't. It wasn't said it was syphilis. He just said he had a urinary infection. But like, you know, like. I get it. I guess it works in the sense that like it makes it gives him agonizing fucking pain, but it's yeah. like you, so many things you could have given him that aren't silly. Yeah, and honestly, like minor, like when he's healing, like when you when you <laughs> when he's healing like cancer, like people with cancer and shit like that. It's kind of it's a little. It kind of undermines it a little bit when twenty minutes prior he was grabbing Tom Hanks's dick. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor's review of the Green Mile is like it's just about Jesus Christ but with bees <laughs> <laughs> boss 
I mean, imagine imagine watching this movie. And I mean, like, I guess, like, it came out at a time when not everybody, you know, went on YouTube and watched the trailer. Well, at the time, nobody did that because it wasn't a fucking film. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, it came out at a time when not every single person or the majority of people had already seen the trailer. Mm-hmm. Just imagine walking into this movie on a random, you know, Tuesday afternoon being like, oh, I'm having an oil change. I got two hours, well, three fucking hours apparently. Mm-hmm. Kill, you know, I'll go see a movie. Oh, The Green Mile, that is Tom Hanks in it. Oh, from the director of The Shawshank Redemption? Okay, all right, say no more. You won me over. You had me. Um, and you're just watching this movie, and it's like, <laughs> okay, all right, it's just a prison drama. Sure, okay, sure, fine, fine, fine. And all of a sudden, like... <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan just grabs Tom Hanks' <laughs> balls and balls. a ball of light happens. Like, like this, this fucking moon, moon glow, like starlight shine. And then he just spits out a bunch of bees. Like, imagine that one random lady that was waiting for a world page was like, what the fuck? I mean, you pretty much accurately described the first time I ever saw this movie. Yeah. Because okay. like I, I mean, like I said, when it all came together in the end, I was like, I I looked like Barry Pepper. <laughs> but yeah, before that, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And boss. <laughs> <laughs> what is he, filthy Frank? Now. <laughs> hey boss. Oh man. <laughs> but yeah, I I gotta I I I gotta change it. I gotta go with Shawshank. I mean. I love both of these movies. I'd probably put both of these movies in my top ten, but I mean, Green Mile, it's it's just got those one or two little things that just kind of make it a little, you know, a little silly or just... It weird. It le- I think weird is the word. Yeah. Like, it is a yeah. movie that, that gets weird. Yeah. Um, Which, like... I don't understand the point of the bees. Like, I don't know why you just can't have John Coffey just be like, yell, you know? And then it's like, oh, wow, he's experiencing his awesome power. Like, even have, like, John Coffey, light come out of John Coffey's, like, eyes and mouth. But, like, he spits out bees and it's just well, like... Well, I, th- I, I took, because I don't think they were bees. I think they were, like, gnats or something. I just kind of took it as, like, a reference to, like, the biblical uh, plagues of Egypt. Oh, true. My bad. My bad. Yeah. Yeah, y'all, y'all have to forgive my ignorance there. Like, okay, that that actually makes fucking, more sense. Fucking atheist giving the Catholic boy a Bible lesson. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, but that's what it always made me think of, so. Yeah, yeah. No, I well, th- that's surely exactly what it is. But, yeah, I mean... I mean, I, I, lo- I love both of these movies. Like, if anybody was was like, hey, yo, you feel like watching this? Fuck yeah. Break out the popcorn. I'm down. Um, but, I mean, after after rewatch, it's mainly because I rewatched Shawshank again that, like, I'm like, yeah, I got to give it to Shawshank. It's the better movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still waiting for them to complete the trilogy. They have to make – Frank Darabont has to make a third um, Stephen King prison movie eventually. Who would be in it? Oh, that's very good. Um, very good point. Um, I say Jimmy Smits. Yeah, okay. Jimmy. Put Jimmy Smits somewhere in there. I love him. And the movie's just called Hey Boss. 
no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Boss. So speaking of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, um, uh, Stephen King dramas about, you know, people with special powers. Have you ever seen the Anthony Hopkins movie Hearts in Atlantis? No. Okay. You should. And I know I say that about every other fucking movie we bring up. <laughs> but, like, Hearts in Atlantis... I mean, that's... Hearts in Atlantis is such an underrated movie. Overlooked. Forgotten. Like, I mean, you probably don't know what it looks like, do you? You probably can't even think of an image from it. Nope. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. It's a really great fucking movie. Um, it is about youth, uh, young love, a loss of innocence. It is one of the first movies uh, that had Anton Yelchin in it. I mean, like he's like a little boy in it. And Anthony Hopkins plays someone who, I guess you... Well, I don't want to give too much away to anybody listening or you. But, um, yeah, no, Hearts in Atlantis is such a hidden, lost, forgotten gem. Um, I would love to, you know, honestly, like, I would love to have an episode where we rank Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Um, I think that would be great. And um, I mean, my favorite's probably the Simpsons movie. What? Because it's basically uh, a parody of Under the Dome. Oh, true. Or wait, or... Or did the no, Simpsons... that's Stephen King. That's Stephen King. Right, but right. I can't remember. Did the Simpsons movie actually come out first? Under the Dome. Yeah, when did Under the Dome come out? Well, I mean, the, the TV show came out in 2013, but like the real question is when did the, um, the book come out? Um, da, 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 da. Hold up. Hold up. Boss. Oh, I know boss. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, Jesus, God, that is fucking hilarious. What? Under the Dome came out in 2009. The Simpsons movie came out in 2007. So... The Simpsons predict fucking everything. <laughs> the Simpsons was like, we're going to predict the next Stephen King novel. <laughs> what the fuck? How does that even how does that even happen? Like did Stephen King <sighs> I mean <laughs> I mean I'm sorry. Like, a good a good idea is a good idea. I mean let's be honest, that is a legit interesting idea. Yeah. Like but like you don't want to be able to say during your book tour, "Oh yeah, that's kind of funny. You basically have the same plot as the Simpsons movie a couple years ago." Yeah. Um but let's be let's be honest. Apparently, it was the fifty eighth book published by Stephen King. Eventually, the motherfucker just runs out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, since we're talking about like kind of ranking Stephen King stuff. I remember my stepdad's favorite um, Stephen King book was Dreamcatcher, which I'm surprised my stepdad could fucking read. If I'm being honest, um, God, he loved Dreamcatcher and like so much so he lost his shit when they made a movie of it. Yeah. I love how, like, Stephen King during an interview, like, around the same time was like, yeah, I don't really like Dreamcatcher. I mostly wrote that when I was high on painkillers. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, that just shows, like, um, 
Oh God, it's the guy who wrote. Um, the guy who wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, and uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. The um, oh, uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Um, Lawrence Kasdan directed um, the Dreamcatcher movie, and he took full responsibility for it. Like, <laughs> apparently, it's weird. I've heard both things. I've heard Dreamcatcher is a uh, you know, a decent film as long as you don't, like, you know, go in... As long as you don't do the thing where it's like, oh, well, the book's better, you know? Like, I think I've heard that it's good in its own right, but then I've also heard, like, it is just such a fucking fumble. Um, I don't know. So, I remember my stepdad telling me about the book as he was reading it and just kind of being like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Huh. Well... But I would be down for a Stephen Kane episode one day. Oh yeah, like fuck yeah. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm all about that. Um and I mean that would be a perfect excuse to get more people to watch Hearts in Atlantis because again, like I would be willing to bet ten bucks that, you know, almost any of the guests we would have on the show have not seen it. Yeah. But um but no, it's it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful movie. So basically another reason why I bring that up is like when Doctor Sleep came out, once again a movie that fucks so hard. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. Doctor when Doctor Sleep came out, one of the early reviews, very very um, what's the word I want to use here? Very ambitious, very very generous. Even um, one of the early reviews dared to say it was the best Stephen King adaptation mm-hmm. since the Shawshank Redemption. Um, since the Shawshank Redemption, which I'm like. That's pretty fucking tough. Yeah. But, but also, honestly, I would have to say after the Shawshank Redemption, mine would probably be Hearts in Atlantis. Like, it is, like, as far as, like, not, like, just fan service or, like, spooky or, like, cool or whatever. Like, probably, like, after the Shawshank Redemption, Hearts in Atlantis is the Stephen King adaptation that is the most good of a good movie. Like, you know, not just a cool movie, not just a creepy movie, not just a spooky movie, but like the, a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's Hearts in Atlantis after Shawshank. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to turn this epilogue into just a, um, a preview for future episodes, but no, I'm really liking the idea of ranking as a format for multiple episodes yeah. Um, so yeah. No, I mean, do you have any closing thoughts on um, Green Mile versus Shawshank, or did you really get it out? I think I got it out. I think uh, this is <laughs> one of the few times we agreed on a movie. Yeah. No, it's. I um, I think uh, one of the other times was Prisoners. How I was like, no, this is a good movie. This is a good movie, and you're like, yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah. Um. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> and then apparently apparently Dr. Sleep. Um Well, I saw well, that before you. You did. You beat me by like a couple days. Um A couple days. Yeah. Did you well, watch it in theaters? I saw it in theaters. Okay, I couldn't remember if you saw it in theaters, yeah. I saw it in theaters. I think you went like you went like Friday or Saturday and I saw it like Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Um but um yeah, no, I, I remember texting you as I was leaving the theater like this movie fucks. <laughs> 
Blake? Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's it it absolutely does. Yeah. And um so um Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I, I think I think my cat's trying to get in or something. But um <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, I, it's I totally lost what I was saying. Where was I? What was I doing? Um uh we were talking about Doctor Sleep. Oh yeah, that was one of the other movies that we agree on. So yeah, yeah I was I was very pleased with that. We also agree one. on Sex Drive. Oh yeah, Sex Drive is. Yeah, I still need to rewatch that. But um, Fat Minute is sponsored by Purple. You want a can? <laughs> you want a can of Purple? Oh gee, how about that? It actually, actually says Purple. purple. <laughs> oh shit! Well, you wanna. You want to take it away, old Donnie? Yeah, I can do that. I think we had a good episode tonight. Um, it's really fun discussing these two movies. And was, I mean, it was also just fun just to rewatch them again. I mean, they're both just such great movies. Um, yeah. So, I mean, on that note, you know, thank everybody for listening tonight. Everybody for joining in the fun. Um, you know, be sure to follow the Fat Minute and on Twitter at Fat Minute Radio, Facebook Fat Minute Radio, Instagram Fat Minute Radio. Um, you know, if you missed this episode or tuned in a little late, it'll be on Spotify, Apple, Google, and YouTube tomorrow. Um, my name is Don John, co-host BVJ here with us tonight. Thank you guys for watching. Be good and be safe. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.